Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, welcome. My name's Johnny Goodtimes. I'm Reef. Hey, this is Greg. Uh, and uh, we are excited to get started this week on Shive Sports. We're going to be doing a bunch of different uh, programs, and it all is part of a fundraiser we're doing for the Anderson Monarchs, which is uh, the baseball program uh, down at 18th and Fitzwater, uh, pretty well known, not just throughout the city, but throughout the country for such an amazing, what a remarkable job they do uh, bringing baseball to the inner city. Well, we're, we're going to be talking today with both the founder of the program, Steve Bandura. Steve, welcome. Hey, great to be here. Welcome, Steve. And we are also going to be talking to a former player of Steve's, uh, Demetrius Jennings. Thanks for having me. Demetrius. Um, good to have you here, guys. Uh, We'll start. Uh, we'll start with you, Steve. I want to start? We'll go back to kind of the beginning of the program. You know, this is the 25th year that you guys have been around. What was the impetus to start the Anderson Monarch program? So, actually, it's been it's been over 30 years since I've been down there. I, I was asked by a friend of a friend um, back in 1989, a friend from college. Um, that told me that her boss was trying to start some sort of youth organization near Center City, found this rec center, 17th and Fitzwater. They had a boxing gym and he was looking for someone to start and run a boxing program. So I, I really, I went to Anderson. I was in marketing back then and, and sales. And I went there basically as a favor to her to make her look good to her boss. And I got mm -hmm. down there and I, I started the boxing program and, and, after I was there a little bit, I had realized that there were no organized sports in that area for any of those kids, nothing they could be a part of. You know, where I grew up, there, there were, you know, there was a boys club every three blocks, you know, that I could walk to and, you know, multiple sports. And um, I just felt, you know, I was shocked. I assumed every kid had these opportunities. And then when I found out that there was nothing for these kids to do, uh, I decided to, you know, get away from the boxing and, and start some team sports. And um, in 1993, I, I was a volunteer back then. So in 1993, I got laid off from my job and I decided to go, instead of taking another offer, I decided to go on unemployment. And I spent a year on unemployment going at this full time, trying to build the program. And we started the Jackie Robinson League in 1993. It was sort of like coach pitch t-ball and we had started off with 160 to 180 kids that first year and it grew from there two years later those better kids from that program i i decided to put into a, a it was actually the devlin league back then that was the was the sort of a league in the philadelphia area and suburbs and we entered the, the devlin league back then and my goal from day one was just to show and prove to people that you know, if these kids, our kids from here are, are were given the same opportunities as the kids in Northeast Philly or the suburban kids, that they could accomplish just as much um, and they could compete. And that my goal in the beginning was just to show that, that our kids could compete. And, and since then, we've gone, you know, well beyond just competing on a citywide level. You didn't have it. You had 160 kids the first year. You had you had no issues or problems being like this tall nerdy white guy coming in and running this program like <laughs> no a lot a lot of people bring that up um i'm sure if, it, if the roles were reversed in northeast philly it would have been a lot different but nobody had any <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> i grew up in mayfair so i know i got the, i got the playbook you know 
Um, <laughs> but no one, nobody had an issue, you know? I mean, I just went to start baseball and I went to the local schools and we recruited there and, and you know, the families were really into it. You know, baseball, baseball was missing there. Baseball kind of skipped a generation, um, mm-hmm. or maybe two in some areas. But these kids, you know, they didn't have dad to play catch with because the parents didn't play baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of reintroducing the kids and the families to baseball. And, I, you know, these old guys from the neighborhood would tell me, you know, especially this one old timer, he would tell me about, like, Anderson Rec Center, was, it, was, it was called McCoach Playground back in the day until they built a new big building in 54, I think. But he said that was, that was the epicenter of black baseball in the city back in the 30s and 40s. And they, he said on Sundays they would outdraw the Phillies and they'd be 10 deep around the field. And I was like, yeah, you know, you know your memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they always got to take it up a level, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> last year, uh, a neighbor – found a picture you know in some history book from 1921 of anderson field the coach playground field packed i mean it's everybody's you know it's from 1921 so everybody's in suit and fedoras mm-hmm. you know yeah. ties then they go to meet and close and it, it was literally what the guy told me it was <laughs> all the way around the field watching this game and it, it was a amazing to me you know it really was amazing so what i did that first year was i had i named all the teams uh we had eight teams that first year i named all the teams after negro league teams and had that on the jerseys and um then i gave them all that found this book for a little kid's book called jackie robinson and the story of all black baseball and it's an excellent book mm-hmm. and it just showed and like kind of reconnect and showed hey this is you know this is our game too, you know? I mean, this is, this is rich history, especially in this area. Um, and, you know, that's why, like, from day one, when I started the Monarchs program, that first year, we were the first ever, 50 years after Jackie Robinson, we were the first ever black team to ever play in the city, this A-League. Um, and it was not an easy getting into the league. Um, if were you I, met with resistance? If my pigment was different, I, you know, uh, we wouldn't have gotten in, um, no. so that privilege helped a little bit. Uh, but what our kids had to face, like I knew, like I said, I grew up in Mayfair. I knew what these guys were going to see and hear. So I pushed Jackie Robinson from day one as this is our mentor, this is our hero, this is who we look up to and our role model. And you know, because what he faced alone, we get to face as a team. And, you know, in 1997, which was uh, the 50th anniversary of Jackie Robinson, when our first Monarchs team was were 10 and 11, we, we got a 1947 bus and we barnstormed out to the Negro Leagues Museum in honor of Jackie Robinson and Negro Leagues. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've done four tours, barnstorming tours like that in total. We would st- we, we, the first tour was 13 days. Um, 10 cities and eventually we worked up to in 2015 we did a 4,500 mile 21 city 23 day tour on this 1947 unair-conditioned bus. Yeah so if I'm in the market for a 1947 clipper bus where do I find one? (laughs) You glossed over like you just grabbed a 1947 bus. Right. This is is the, the crazy part. There was a I was telling my friend about this, you know, one of my good friends about the tour and I was, I was organizing and he had a friend who was a mechanic who I've never met. And, and somehow 
now this guy had a stack of magazines. He said it was like this, as tall as he was, a stack of this Hemmings magazine. It's for collectors, car collectors. And he had thrown them all out, and he saved two, two of the magazines to read articles he wanted to read. In the back of one of those magazines was the only ad ever run for this 1947 <laughs> bus, right? It was, sitting, it was sitting in a barn in Connecticut for 25 years. The guy had bought it from Warner Brothers in California and drove it east and was going to refurb it and never got around to it. So it was literally in a barn, like with an inch thick dust on it and, and stuff piled on top of it. And this guy, friend of a friend who I never met, rode up to Connecticut like four or five different times and got that thing running. And we rented wow. it from the guy um, for the tour. And we had this whole tour planned out, but we didn't get, we didn't get confirmation of insurance on the bus until 11 o'clock the night before the tour. Mm. Until then we were uninsured and we couldn't find anybody to insure it. So wow. Demetrius, did you, were you ever on any of the bus trips? No. I never got to go on any of the bus trips, but I do remember my dad and my brother was a part of, they were part of the first one, right, Steve? Yep, yeah. The first trip. Um, and I was a little kid. I had to be about probably four, maybe five at the most. Um, but I do remember them, everyone meeting outside of Anderson, everyone getting on the bus, and uh, my dad and my brother going away for, you know, about two weeks. Um, but now, you know, I, I get to watch the, I see the pictures and hear the memories and things like that. And it's, it's really cool. I never personally got to go on the trip, but I do have some vivid memories of it. Now, how did you become, how did you get involved with the program? So my dad used to coach with Steve, uh, my brother, who is four years older than me. He started at Anderson at a young age. So when I was born, I was born pretty much right into the Monarch family. I was at you know, every game, baseball, soccer, basketball, you know, all year round. Um, and then watching my, my brother play, you know, it made me want to play. And then my, my dad was coaching at the time. So you'll always catch me around the gym, you know, while the game's going on, running around, trying to mimic those guys that are older than me. Uh, when they're on the baseball field, you know, I'm somewhere in the outfield, probably in the way, you know, throwing the ball around, trying to catch, trying to learn what those guys are doing. Um, so I was just always around the Monarch family, you know, since day one. What, 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 kind, of, what kind of impact do, did the Monarch family have on you? It was, uh, I was very, very fortunate, you know, to have great family support and to be born into the Monarch family because it opens up unlimited opportunities, not just for sports, you know. So I grew up playing sports. I was fortunate enough to get pretty good at it to get a division one scholarship and then just building those life foundations from day one things like hard work respect uh determination things like that just building those from day one it kind of paved the path for me to success you know it really just opened up so many doors for me yeah steve you had mentioned earlier about the things that that some of the kids would deal with from you know uh, ignorance with uh, outside forces and things like that. I wanted to ask both of you, has that changed? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, I thought it was changing, you know, getting not, not, it's not disappearing, just getting a little more subtle. Mm -hmm. But in the past, in the past few years, it's, it's 
jumped up to all new levels again. Um, but you know, the one thing that helps is, you know, we're not the new kid on the block anymore. Our, our reputation, um, you know, at, at, we, we've, we've got a reputation now as being, being one of the best clubs around, you know, even mm-hmm. nationwide with our, our 18 U team. Mm-hmm. Um, from that group, we have 13 college baseball players, nine division one players from one neighborhood team. About only to only 2%, only 2% of high school players make play division one and have nine from one neighborhood team. And I can tell you, you know, we had 10 kids. We, let me just backtrack a little bit. When we put our teams together when they're seven or eight years old, that travel team stays together year round and they play travel baseball, basketball, and soccer together. Mm-hmm. They play three sports. They're around each other. The families are together all year round. You know, and that's why we have so many multi-sport athletes like Monet played three sports in high school. My son mm-hmm. played three sports in, in high school and everyone plays at least two. Mm-hmm. Um, Meaty was, was really, he was the point guard for Penn Charter mm-hmm. um, in basketball. Um, his brother played basketball at, at Chestnut Hill Academy. Um, but putting those, having those kids together, you know, for that amount of time and year round and, and, you know, it creates that, it really creates that, that family, mm-hmm. that family feel, that family atmosphere. Like our guys that are 30 years old now are still just as tight as they were when they were 12, you mm-hmm. know, they're still in touch. And cause you know, the neighborhood was a lot different back then. So, you know, I would see kids, you know, that I would talk to and then I would see them on the street and they act completely different when they're around other people. But what this Monarchs, group gets it allows you to be yourself and not have to wear that mask you know and that's why the kids are just so comfortable around each other because they know they can just be themselves and they don't have to put on an act and try to be somebody they're not everybody knows everything about each other Mm -hmm. Uh, and i I just forgot what the original question was i'm just dealing with you said about dealing with you know all black kids playing baseball and some of the the the, the hurdles they had to deal with Uh, you know we're talking about jackie robinson dealing with that 50, 60 years ago as, as it changed in, 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 in your mind? Yeah, well, I mean, depending where you go, yeah. I mean, Northeast Philly is a lot more diverse now. Um, <laughs> than it was. It's, all the gentrifiers pushed everybody up to the Northeast, which is pretty ironic. Wow. <laughs> Last year, we, we try to get our kids from early on into private schools. Like me, say, he started at first grade at Penn Charter. Um, and last year for, for Chestnut Hill Academy or Springside Chestnut Hill, we had 10 Monarchs on the, on the varsity baseball team. So we, we look like, if you know the Interact, you know it's pretty white. Uh, we look like an HBHS last year. And, and we, won, we won the Interact League outright for the first time in 30 years. With Congratulations. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I'm sure Meaty can talk about, you know, probably being like the Jackie Robinson of the SoCon. Yeah, yeah. Right? What was your experience, Meaty? So, even though I went to Penn Charter at a young age, in my graduating class, there was 94 kids, which is really small. Mm-hmm. Only two black males graduated my class. Wow. So, I was the only one playing baseball mm-hmm. throughout my entire career there mm-hmm. until Meech came. Meech was a freshman when I was a senior, I want to believe. Okay. And then it was just me and Meech, who were both monarchs. Mm-hmm. So, I was always the only What'd you say? You say you're talking about Demetrius Isaac? Yes, yes. Yeah, now he was just 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 a little heads up. He was working with us at Shive, and then Steve stole him from us. Yep. So, yeah. You see how so, you do, Steve. 
We won't bring that up in the interview, but yeah, we, we really enjoyed having him on staff. At Chuck great Chuck. kid, great kid, yeah, great and then, kid. Yeah, and then Steve came in, swooped him away. But anyway, <laughs> carry on. Yeah, yeah. So I was always the only, you know, black baseball player in the school. And then when we would play other NX schools, there would be, you know, one, maybe two at the most. Mm-hmm. And what's ironic about it is that they were also monarchs. So we had Alex Wilson was at VA. Uh, John McAllister was at uh, CHA at the time. Uh, and it's like the only black players in the area that went to inter- interact schools had mm-hmm. some affiliation with the monarchs. Awesome. Um, so, I mean, that was a cool connection to have, mm-hmm. you know, when we played other schools. But like I said, I was always the only one uh, growing up. What about in college? In college, it was pretty much the same thing. So we had two black players out of 35 players at my school. Um, and then when we would go play other schools, like I said, same one or things. two, maybe yeah. black players. Um, so it was always in the South, yeah, in, in South Carolina. Uh, still, same, uh, you know, very few black players. But it was always cool, like, when you go to other schools, Mm-hmm. You would see the other black player, and you know it. It kind of became a norm that there is only going to be one or two of us, mm-hmm. and you could always kind of feel this connection with right. the other black players. That yeah. um was always was always pretty cool to have. Now, That's Steve, cool. are you? This has got to be. I know this has been, and reading some of the stuff that you've done recently, this has got to be a source of frustration for you, seeing how successful your program has been, but not necessarily seeing. Uh, you know, we, we see a lot of hand-wringing from the major leagues in terms of the percentage of black players going down so much in the last 40 years. But we don't see a whole lot of movement on that front. Is that is that a source of frustration for you, that what you've done hasn't been replicated in other cities? That's the biggest frustration of my life. This would cost me sleep knowing that, you know, there are, there are probably a thousand other Demetriuses that never get a chance to to, to you know, pick up a glove and play. Um, and I don't, you know, MLB and, and, you know, all these other groups are trying to do things, but it's, it's like the way I describe it is it's all icing and no cake. You're spending your whole time trying to create the perception that you're doing something. Nobody wants to put in the, you know, the baking the cake part of it. They just want to put, you know, show you the icing. Oh, we had uh, 50,000 kids playing RBI. Like, you know, it's no, Jimmy Rollins was an RBI guy. No, he's not. He's not. Um, And he'll tell you that if you ask him. So, you know, stop trying. If you just do the right thing, you'll get the publicity to come with it. You don't have to, you don't have to make stuff up. Right. Nobody really wants to put in the time and the effort to do this. And it's not like it's rocket science. It's, you know, it's the suburban model. It's, it's what everyone else does. Every other pro successful program in the country does start the kids young, Mm -hmm. give them good instruction, put them in a good league and let them play enough games against good competition. So they get better. Most, if there is a city league or a city team, most of them play 10 to 12 games, you know, age groups like eight to 12, you know, mm-hmm. one team and they play 10 games against similar talented teams, and you, you know, and this teams in the suburbs are playing, you know, 60 to hundred games right. against good competition. So, you know, and they're getting exposure and people, they all, what irks me the most is all the stereotypes that keep getting recycled every year. MLB. Oh, like black kids would rather play, you know, it's easier to get a scholarship in football and basketball. 
So what you're telling me is that this five-year-old kid, your parents come to him when he's five and says, hey, you want to play baseball? And he says, no, it's easier to get a scholarship in basketball. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Dad. But you're assuming, and all oh, the guys are going to that. So you're assuming that you have this whole pool of 18-year-olds who, who are good enough to play college baseball, basketball, and football, and they're choosing, you know. If that's the case, then that would be great. Mm-hmm. But you don't have that group of 18-year-olds. And, you know, this kid said that there, there is no lack of interest, I can tell you that. There is absolutely no lack of interest. It's a lack of opportunity. And I told you, we play three sports. If you pulled every one of our players, I guarantee you, I know for a fact, that number three in popularity would be basketball. Right, right. Right. Yes. You, you said there's no there's no short of uh, of uh, interest. Is is it is there like a long waiting list to get down with you guys? Like how does it work to, to become well, a monitor? We our our in house program is we, we try to cast a wide net at the five to seven year old age. Okay. And um so from that group, from that in house five to seven year old in house program, we'll choose a group of twelve to fifteen kids that we feel like are really good kids or have potential or you know um, you know, something about that kid will make him a good monarch, whether he's a great player or not. You know, I mean, yeah, we had 13 kids playing college ball from this one team, but that's not how most of the teams go. Right. You know, every team is different. Our 11 and 12 year olds are amazing at soccer, but mm-hmm. you know, baseball's baseball's probably the third best sport for that group mm-hmm. because they're really into soccer. And you hear, mm-hmm. you hear 11 year old inner city black kids debating the English Premier League and this player was, you know, picked up by Ajax. You know, no one even knows how to pronounce that. And then you've got kids, bat, you know, talking about this. They all have favorite English Premier League teams and they know all the soccer players, the best players, and they're working on moves. And, you know, I, I walk away to baseball practice. I come back five minutes later and there's a soccer game going on. <laughs> every group, every kid is different. Every group is different. But, you know, the bottom line is, if the opportunity is not there, you're not, they're not going to play baseball. You know? Right. See, but, the interesting thing is my, my nephews are in the suburbs and my one nephew played baseball and they do it year round. Like what makes you have them play different sports all through the year? Cause a lot of suburban kids are just playing one sport all year yeah, to get more competitive. Ridiculous. And all the studies have shown how ridiculous it is to specialize at an early age. You know, we have, we've had guys specialize when they got to high school and that's fine. If you figured out that that's what you want to do and that's all you want to do, fine. Um, and that's not to say we don't train baseball and we play fall ball and we have winter indoor training. So we're doing baseball year round and we're doing, you know, but in baseball season, it might be four days a week of baseball, a day of basketball and a and day of soccer or something like that, you know? Um, yeah, I want to take that to Demetrius. I mean, you're somebody that played more than one sport and, and you know, like Steve's just saying, a lot of times it seems like these kids at age 10 are, oh, okay, you can only focus on baseball. Well, you're somebody, and you came up in Steve's program, where that's not encouraged. You are encouraged to play multiple sports. Do you feel like that helped you in baseball, having the knowledge of the other sports? Absolutely. Um, I'm in school right now. I actually graduate on May 7th uh, from Temple University with a master's degree in athletic training. And Congratulations, uh, man. That's nice, awesome. Nice. Oh, thank you. This has been a topic in our class, just like sports specialization at a young age. And when you talk about the medical side of it, it's very, very hurtful for the for the child. Um, mm. You should never see overuse injuries at in a 13-year-old. You should never see overuse injuries in a 13-year-old. 
Um, and you see that a lot with someone that specializes in one sport at an early age. Um, but, you know, taking it away from the medical side of it, if you just think about, I'm just going to use me as, as an example, someone who played multiple sports growing up, you get so much more experience, you get to meet so many other people, you get to, you know, go through so many different experiences on these different teams that you can't get if you're just playing in one sport. Um, another thing is you develop different muscles, different movement patterns with, you know, different sports. With basketball, you learn how to land, you learn how to jump. That really helped me in baseball. Um, mm. When I was playing, I could track down the ball, I could jump, I could, you know, explode running wise. And I would really put that into the different sports that I was playing, um, playing soccer, playing basketball. It just really helps develop different skill work that you might not get if you just specialize in one sport. Mm. Hey, meet one of the thing. Oh, go ahead, Steve. Okay, okay. Let me say one more thing about that. When we have the kids playing three different sports, like just say we're a team right here mm. and we're playing three different sports, usually that sometimes the, the best player can turn out to be a jerk because he's the best player. But what happens is like Reef could be the, would be the best baseball player. Greg's the best, best basketball player in the group, right? And, mm. and John's the best soccer player. So mm. everybody's good at something or you wouldn't have been selected for the team in the first place. Everybody's good at something, so everybody's respected. Mm-hmm. And you know, a college coach told me one time he loves multi-sport kids. And when he's really, when he's really interested in a kid and he's one, you know, figuring out whether he wants to offer him, he'll go watch the kid play his second sport. Mm-hmm. See how he behaves and carries himself when he's not the best player on the field <laughs> or on the court, you know, and, and it says a lot about character and, and, you know, learning to fail is, is more important than learning to win. Uh, I believe, like looking back over the years, uh, yeah, we, we, we always try to win. Wanting to win is the most important thing, um, uh, but you're not going to. Our, our 18-year-old group, you know, lost so many. They used to call themselves the bridesmaids because they would lose in the semifinals of a big tournament or in the final. We never won. Mm-hmm. And then comes 2014, and we win this big tournament, you know, in, in Cooperstown, and then we go on and – you know, to the Little League World Series. And then the next year we win the RBI World Series. And, you know, but learning how to lose and win with the same demeanor is is a huge character trait, you know, um, that's going to pay off for you later on in life and in, in, in every aspect of your life. Yeah, I want to ask me because uh, when I read, doing some research, a lot of the college coaches are talking about the mentality that the Anderson kids have, where it's a total team mentality instead of the individual and I wanted to know, when you got to Wofford and played there, did you find that that was rare, that kids were more after their own individual success and you were different, or was it common when you got there? So well, I was fortunate enough to be in a recruiting class where we were recruited to kind of turn around the program. Um, so historically, Wofford wasn't as good. And then my freshman year, we all we weren't good. And then we broke the record for wins my – sophomore year and me along with some of the other guys in my class we got together and we were like look we need to turn this program around and the way that we did it is that from the player standpoint we implemented a extra work kind of schedule routine so we were getting extra swings we were taking extra ground balls you know we were taking extra fly balls and things like that to turn around the program and that's something that I got from the Monarchs Um, 
if you want to turn things around, it's that extra swing, it's that extra rep. It's the extra focus that you have when you're going through those reps. And that's something that I took to Wofford. And the other kids that were in my class, they also bought into that system and we were able to turn around the program. Um, and that's something that's implemented at a very young age, which you don't see in most programs around the country. Look at Steve's holding back that smile. He wants to smile like a proud parent. When he's here <laughs> well, I want to uh, I want to go ahead and, and wrap it up. It is Jackie Robinson Day, so I want to take uh, you know reach out to both you you gentlemen and and tell us the impact that Jackie has had on uh, your life and your and your baseball. So we'll start with you, Steve. Uh, what impact has Jackie Robinson had? You were breaking a little bit. I don't know if everybody caught that. You might have to say it again. Yeah, please say that again. Okay, sorry. So we, we want to wrap it up with, with just frozen. a little discussion of Jackie Robinson since it's Jackie Robinson Day and wanted to see the impact that he's had on you both uh, professionally and personally. So the impact that Jackie Robinson has had on you guys professionally and personally. Um, yeah, I mean <laughs> – as far as professionally with, with, with our teams, I mean, we talked about it, how he is the ultimate role model. Um, you know, I mean, perseverance and, and, and sacrificing for the good of, of the whole, you know, I mean, that's really today. I mean, couldn't be more relevant where we are today in this unprecedented time here. Um, the sacrifice Jackie Robinson made so others could benefit and it wound up killing him. I mean, it was totally against his, his personality to take that mess and, you know, it wound up killing him at, at, at an early age, um, bottling all that stuff up inside. But personally, just me, you know, his, his epitaph reads, I got a picture on that wall over there of all the kids, you know, every barnstorming tour we take, we either start or finish at Robinson's gravesite in Brooklyn. And, and on the headstone says, you know, life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. And that's our, that's on all of our stationery and everything else for the monarchs. Um, but I just feel like if everybody, I really feel that, you know, like I was in the, in the business world, I had a great job and company car and office and secretary. And, and I hated every minute. I didn't feel any value, you know, self value at all until I started doing this. And mm. that just, ring so true though you know I get I get more out of it by giving to the kids and, and giving opportunities to the kids I get more out of it than they do you know like I mean guys like like me you know they're graduating from you know coming from 18th and Mifflin and now graduating from Temple with their master's in athletic training played division one ball in South Carolina you know like you know to me nothing could make me happier anything I could do for myself would not even compare to what I see these kids doing, you know, and the opportunities, uh, you know, our job is to give opportunity. And that's what Jackie Robinson did. He gave opportunity, created opportunity for others. So that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Steve answered that. Great. I mean, just to, you go back to the quota, you know, life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. And then when I look back on that, that's one of the main reasons that I chose the career path that I'm in now. I felt like, you know, sports have always been a huge part of my life, but I'm not in athletic training for the sports side of it. As an athletic trainer, you get to see, you know, your athletes every day. You get to, you know, go through the ups and downs with them, and you also get to take care of them on the medical side of it. But 
I just feel like as an athletic trainer going forward, I can have such an impact on everyone else's life. You know, growing up as an athlete, I've been through ups and downs. You know, I know what it takes to win. I know what it takes to lose. I know how it feels to lose. So if I can just share my experiences with the athletes that I take care of now, you know, if I can make an impact on someone else's life, then I think I'm doing my job. And I think uh, I'm going to be a pretty good athletic trainer. That's what's up. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys so much for coming on with us today. Uh, Greatly appreciate it. I appreciate appreciate you guys. That both you guys do. Keep up the great work, man. You guys are making a great impact. Take care of yourself tomorrow, right? What'd you say? Tomorrow's interview. Take care of Mo. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got it. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you.